This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Are you ready? Are you ready? I am ready. All right, baby. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader. And before we get into it with the champion, the returning champion, Aaron Goff, let's take care of a little bit of business, right? Okay? First things first, Axe Wax. Axe Wax is an all-natural food-safe wax for your axe, for your handles, for your steel, for your wood, for your leather and other things. And it's food-safe, which is great because then if you're making something for somebody and they're going to use it like steak knives or chef knives or something, wouldn't it be nice to have something to, to, to put on it that isn't icky and make anyone feel so bad? So go to AxeWax.us, put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your order. And it's great, and it's really, really great. And um, I use it all the time. I use it on a lot of the wood stuff I do. Uh, the car, Any kind of carbon seal that goes out, I throw a little Axe Wax on there. And if you're in the U.K., go to UKKnifesupplies.com, put in promo code FULLBLAST10. Toby's going to give you 10% off. If you're in Australia, NordicEdge.com.au. The fine people at NordicEdge.NordicEdge. Dot com will give you 10% off with Full Blast 10. And if you're in the EU, Keith Colby over at knifematerial.at going to give you 10% off with Full Blast 10. So go get yourself some Axe Wax. Noah's been supporting the show since day one, and I appreciate the hell out of him. So go buy a couple pucks of Axe Wax. The next thing is, guys, I need to readjust your mind in regards to akinteractive.com. AKInteractive.com is run by Andreas Kalani. Andreas Kalani is a knife maker. And what he has done is he has 20 years of experience in, in design, marketing for corporations before he turned into a knife maker. This guy's got a lot of experience designing websites, corporate identities, and entire company branding. So it's not like this guy just all of a sudden figured out how to use the internet. This guy has been at it for quite a while, and he will make you a website. He'll fix your website. He'll get it tuned up for you because you don't realize. You don't realize you're wasting your time in the DMs with most likely tire kickers, people who want to just be your friend. And you want that website to be rocking and rolling so you can bring in all that cheddar. You know what I'm saying? So go to akinteractive.com slash full blast. You will get 10% off your whatever. He'll make your website. He'll fix your existing website. He can make you a mobile-friendly website that you can update through your phone. He'll figure out a way that you can fix it yourself. He's always going to be there. He's been doing a lot of consulting for free, by the way, guys. So if you're like reaching into his DMs asking for him some consulting and he's going to give you he's going to give you that he's going to help you for free you better help him out so go to akinteractive.com slash full blast and get yourself a good website uh, like Steve Schwarzer uses Steve Schwarzer uses AK Interactive Mike Tyree Charlie Wa- Charlie Lionheart and many many more so go get yourself a good website and stop playing guys you got to stop playing and then the last thing is Total Boat Total Boat, baby. Total Boat is this amazing company that started out you making adhesives and paints and primers and polishing compounds in epoxy, some of the best epoxies in the world for boating, for boats, for boats. And then what they realized was that the DIY community and the maker community would benefit from these epoxies. So there's guys like Keith Deason and Derek Vermalden, Keith Johnson and Keith Mitchell. Every Keith is using Total Boat. Not to mention 
Woby Design. That's right. Ben Paik swears by here now. I'm gonna tell you how good the epoxy is from Total Boat. He makes reclaimed skateboard material, and he made a a bicycle frame out of reclaimed skateboards held together by Total Boat, and he's riding around the streets in this epoxy epoxy held together a bicycle and it's using a total boat and he's fine and it's fine and it worked perfectly so if it works for him it works for me it works for you i'm actually using the total boat two to part two part epoxy for handle scales i actually use their thick set to make a little uh, box for my progression pieces and i know that there's a lot of other people who use total boat they have tons of different stuff and it's great so go get yourself some total boat totalboat.com put in promo code full blast 10 you're gonna get 10 percent off whatever you want and we love total boat so don't tell total boat you still you're glad they're sponsoring your favorite podcast your second favorite podcast because your first favorite podcast is xyz podcast with my friend garen goff the host of xyz podcast is here aaron your ad, reads, your ad reads are on point. I also have a question. My name isn't Keith. Am I allowed to use Total Boat Epoxies if my name is not Keith? I'm just saying he, they got the market on Keith's. Yeah, so they've like, the Keith market. They, they are any Keith who's making anything, they're using Total Boat. So, yeah, for <laughs> sure. I have no question about it. I tell you what, it's funny that you say that because I, I'm, you know, it's no, it's no uh, surprise. I love radio. And, I, and the ad reads are fun. But you know what the one thing is I wish I could do? Which was such a radio thing is it's his hitting the post. Do you know what hitting the post is? I have no idea. So when like the, like a music radio station would play a song, there would be this run up, and then you'd have this mm. certain amount of time before the it like kind of kicked in. So you know like fifteen seconds or twenty seconds, and then the, you know they would say you know they would the song would start, and then the, the DJ would say, "All right." 15 on the, you know, 15 on the hour traffic and what, you know, this is, here we go with the, you know, right. the Rolling Stones, give me shelter, hey baby, and then it comes right in. I've always, I used to pretend to, when I was a kid, I used to do that. I would play, I only had a Beach Boys album, a, a, a cassette, and I would try to hit the post on the run-up. It was my favorite thing to do. But I don't play music, so. I love it. You're such a nerd. I love it. You're a radio nerd. I'm a radio nerd. There, I, there, I tell you, you know what? The... Radio guys are the best manipulators of all time, and and it's true. And they're magnetic, and they're charismatic, and they know how mm-hmm. to talk, and they know how to identify with the listener. And some of like the biggest talking heads in like you know what you would call the media now, they all started in radio, and right. they're because they know how to. The voice goes up and the voice goes down, and you know how to be a little bit more normal, and you're not just like this stiff person, and it's. They're charismatic as shit. It's amazing. Yeah, that's so. fair. Yeah, presenting a topic and having your voice go up and, yeah. you know, having your voice – like uh, modulating your voice while you're giving a like a, a speech about a topic that you very thoroughly memorized is actually really hard. It's it's super interesting that, that that's a skill that you have to learn, you know? Well, I mean it- – that it, but it's interesting because it's like it makes you feel like you're pre. There, you know, there used to be. I don't know if you know the the American uh, newscaster who was very famous. His name was Tom Brokaw. He had this incredible, like he had this slight speech impediment, but okay. it was so. It was apparently like, and, and you know, in broadcasting, the voice is very important in the enunciation and stuff. But he had this like this 
it was like this. It almost sounded not like he was drunk, but it was enough that it was like 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 almost Sammy Davis Jr. Right. And it was like it was like for some reason people like liked it. Like there was a, something mm-hmm. in this tone that people just like distinctive. Yeah, yeah, so, I get that. I don't have any of that. Makes it sound like you're listening to a real person rather yeah. than, you know. That's right. Yeah. Actually, could we put you? Can we get you in my phone rather than like Siri or Google? You what know? do you? I hey, love Jeff. it. I would. I would. Okay, lo- Jeff. You know, it'd be funny. It'd be funny because I would be very like. I would be very. I would be annoyed. I would be. You would. It would be like the annoyed genie. Or you, you just say no. Yeah. No. Hey, Jeff, no, it, could you turn off my lights, please? No. Really? Do it yourself. You can't. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, it would be very, very dismissive and like irritated that you'd ask me that. Yeah, it'd be good. That's the next stage for AI. I mean, it would have to be. You have to have some sort of personality, mm. like some. You're, okay, I'll turn off your lights. God, <laughs> you don't do anything else with your life. Well, I actually had. So you know. For the listeners, Jeff has, has warmed me up a little bit in advance here. He's yeah. told me that the subject of this, you know, of this episode is going to be about the future, yeah. kind of. And I had the weirdest interaction the other day. I got a phone call um, that was like the Canadian Society for the Blind, you know, trying to encourage me to give them some money. Okay. And it took me more than five minutes to work out that I was talking to a robot. Really? Yeah, 100%. Like, so it was a real person that had done a whole series of recordings, you know, in like a decision tree, right? Right. But then it was switching between those recordings based on what I was saying. And the whole system was orchestrated so well that I, you know, after like 30 seconds, I started being like, hang on a second. Like, is is this a real person or is this? And it took me like... Because I was trying to be polite and not be like, are you a robot? Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, it took me like five minutes to trick this thing into like proving to me that it was a robot, you know? And like that's that's nutty. That's pretty crazy. Well, I would think, I mean, I don't mean to be disrespectful to the blind, but I would think that if they're probably advertising, if they're like shooting for blind people to, to squeeze money from, they better learn how to like figure out that talking shit because I think they're the, uh, I, don't, I don't know if the, you know, the, the Canadian Society from the Blind is like mainly fundraising from blind people. I don't I mean, know if that's their audience. That's what your move, I mean, is, wouldn't that be your move? Wouldn't you go for wealthy blind people? Oh, I I have no idea. I have You're no kidding idea. me? You need you need to. I mean, if you if I'm if I'm targeting a specific person, I need them to have I I need them to have a uh, a dog in the fight. I need them to have like some well, some they, like you know skin in the game. They screwed so it up gonna, with me because I'm only half blind. I know, but I mean, obviously they knew <laughs> they clearly knew that, and they 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 didn't realize that you're that they're. I would think, and I'm not. I don't even. I'm not even trying to be funny. I I am kind of trying to be funny, but I would think. That they would say, "All right, listen, you better be able to fool a blind person into thinking you're 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 a robot." Because it's like I, I it's interesting with those robot calls because I always just immediately know if I pick up the phone and there's no one answering immediately, I always just hang up. Yeah, I'm telling you, Jeff, you would have been fooled. I would have. Yeah, this 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 call was. It was next level. I, it's the only time I've ever experienced anything like that. You know, it's the the perfect kind of synthesis of like someone sitting down and actually recording you know 300 clips right it right. wasn't like a robot voice and you know some sort of ai 
decision tree that was deciding which clip was going to be played next. To the point where I said, uh, can you, sorry, you know, can you tell me, are you a robot? And immediately, like, no, not like, oh, you know, immediately it was like, no, 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 sir, I'm not a robot. I just have to work off a script so that, you know, I make sure that I get all the correct information to you. So it it wasn't a robot, or it was a robot? It was a robot, 100%, because I got it to, like, cut itself off and start playing clips, like, from like over over the top of itself, like oh repeating itself. God. But it lied to me about not being a robot, oh my and it did God. so convincingly. That's you know what that's 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 totally that's terrible. <laughs> the, 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 the Canadians for the blind. I mean, they are they're thieves. They're, they're thieves. They're giving you that is. A, I, I think it's hilarious that you figured it out and then you realize. All right, I'm going to see if I can get them to say the same thing over again. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed that the robot said no, sir. I'm just going by this script, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. A little disingenuous to potentially lie, oh, but you never give money if you were pretending that you were going. If you were thinking, man, eh, maybe I better get some, give this person some money because otherwise I'm going to feel bad for myself. You lie to me. I'm going straight for the deaf now. I'm not even blind. I'm screwed. The Canadian blind. Forget it, man. I'm over you, well, man. Okay, so here I have a question, and I think this kind of ties into it, you know, our our theoretical upcoming theme of this Go episode, ahead. the future, which is, is it more evil to get a robot to lie to people and say, oh, yeah, I'm totally a human? Or is it more evil to put a bunch of humans that could otherwise be doing more interesting stuff in a room and make them read a script? That's a good question. Because, th- like, working in a call center is such a thankless, horrible job, you know? Have you done it? Uh, not directly. I've done collections, which is kind of oh. worse. Oh, <laughs> cold calling people? I can't imagine. Yeah. I, would, I, think that the, I think that the ethical dilemma here is, is teaching, is, is, like, is like programming. I would be more angry about the lying robot. Mm. Than I would about the people lying, because it, the intent, the intent, the ethical dilemma really is, is like you're kind of programming this robot to be nefarious. Yeah, I do get that. Like, I think there should be, you know, and this is kind of an interesting point where maybe our laws aren't quite keeping up. You know, right. maybe there has to be a rule that, like, if you have an automated system that can successfully pretend it's that a, a human. It should have to disclose that it's not a human, maybe. Or they need to change their delivery system. Cold calling is like, I mean, when you cold call, I mean, cold calling somebody is like, what do you think their rate of success is? It's Very less, low. It's got, can't, I don't even think it cannot be 10%. It can't well, but here's 10%. the thing. They still do it. And we live in a capital society. So that's the fact that they still do it is proof that they make enough money for it to be worthwhile. Well, it would be it's, – and it's cheaper to have lying robots call. Absolutely, right? But they, there are still people that will call you. Right. You know, it, we went from that like, oh, the people that are cold calling you are in North America and they're probably being paid, you know, minimum wage in North America to, oh, they're calling you from India and they're making right. minimum wage in India. And, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think the greater of those two evils between the, the robot lying and – Trapping a person in a room and making them call people that swear at them for twelve hours a day is, is putting them in a room. It's it's like I don't know. Working in a call center doing cold calling is like not even a job. It's like a torture mechanism. You know. Well, let's transition this into 
the DIY maker community, the future mm. of the DIY. Because what, what, what interests me about what you just brought up is, you know, I, I just came back from the Center for Metal Arts in Johnstown, PA. And just give you a little background. The last episode, I had Pat Quinn on, the executive director. And it really is the future of blacksmithing, which is hilarious because, like, the, 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 considering the future of blacksmithing is, like, this oxymoron, you know, because it was so... It used to be the primary job that people depended on for your nails, for your hammers, for your tools, for your kitchen equipment, for every sword that ever cut someone's head off, every arrowhead, every, you know, all every any hardware... The blacksmith made it. So then all of a sudden, yeah. machining came in, Industrial Revolution, bingo, bango, bongo. And then, so where the Center for Mental Arts is in Johnstown, PA, used to be the Cambri- Cambria Iron. And they were, and they were in, the, in this town where there was, in Pennsylvania, where there was a, a lot of coal, and they were collecting coal, and then they created these, they were making steel, and then they were starting to make industrial forgings. And in, in the building that in, uh, Center for Mental Arts is in, they have these power hammers, 3,000 pound power hammers. Like, the, the, they're like, they awesome. are, they're, they eclipse. I mean, the, the interesting thing is they're so big that there's nothing you can do with them other than make industrial stuff. Like, hooks, right. hooks for like, you know, picking up aircraft carriers and stuff. Like, right. You like, put a regular mortal sized piece uh, of steel in there and it just smushes it into a penny. And it's, <laughs> it's, but beyond, I mean, you can, you, you the hits are, I mean, it's insane. I mean, it's like 20 feet tall. It's insane. I mean, it's insane. And he, they're basically, they're rectif- you're, they're starting a school and then they're also going to be doing these demos with artists and they're going to be using these giant hammers to make sculpture, like giant forge sculpture. Very so cool. what was interesting to me be, is because it, you know, what I actually wanted to talk to you about is because our approaches are so different in your work. I, I think that without just starting in by saying that there, the amount of people who you've inspired through your videos on how to make knives um, is extraordinary. I, I think that I don't think Thank you're you. totally aware of <laughs> the of. The uh, people you've helped influence over time, including me. I mean, one of the first knives I've ever, the stock removal knives I ever made was after watching your videos. You you and Michael Trolsky were the one-two bang that I send people to. Right. Which is amazing. Like, that's such a huge compliment. Oh, dude, you have no idea how many people sneak into my DMs saying, every time you're on Knife Talk or every time you're on uh, this show, you... Oh, you have no idea what he's done for me. He's changed my life. You started me on the road. You started me down the road. I mean, super cool. If I had, I mean, telling you this, I mean, if I hadn't stayed as a blacksmith and I started, if I hadn't stayed as starting Fader Knives, if I had to do like a thank you list, you're on there. I mean, there's no question because of, so, but, but your approach is different because you use, and now you use CNC machines and you CNC and you're using technology to create these beautiful knives. P.S., the Resolute knife of all the knives I've bought is by far the highest level of all the like outdoor knives I have bought. It's like tighty tight tight, unbelievable. Well, I'm glad you like it. It's well, and as, I, as I said, I I don't think you know the knife that I made for you was experimental in some ways, and it actually wasn't as tight as you know what I tried to hit. So stop it. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, what's interesting is, is our approaches are different. Like yeah, I remember different. when I was at the blacksmith shop, my uh, the lead man John Ledford used to say, "I'd say, well, it's like a sixteenth off." He's like, "Don't talk to me about a sixteenth." Right. 
you it will be fine we'll be fine and and i know that the tolerances that you have are like incalculable by the you know by by a tape measure of the naked eye yes you yeah know? and i know you don't really talk in thousands very much i don't know microns. i couldn't i couldn't i can do i can get down to like maybe if you like really gave me a few minutes i could get down to 64 but not by a lot right you know what i'm saying but what's interesting is is like we both have the uh, very similar di- directions but our approaches are totally different and I'm interested to know what you think the future is in making, in, in making anything, making knives, homemakers and DIYers and what you think about. Yeah, you know, I have I have a, a big swarm of thoughts about this. You know, you know, like those uh, the fish that yeah. swim in a big shoal around yeah, divers. Yeah, yeah that, that's kind of – they're all going in different directions. That, yeah. That's where my thoughts are on this. Yeah, I mean in some ways I think it relates back to – computer programming so computer programming like when i first saw a computer you know you think like a mac classic 2 or like you know big big box right and if you opened that box you could see like actual physical things in there you know and each of those things had a purpose and you could kind of you know look at a computer on the inside and you know kind of see what was going on and then actually programming it like you just had a, a screen and you just typed some some words in and some, you know, you could only do very simple things, but getting the computer to do it was kind of simple. And these days, if you want to get into programming, you have to learn like 17 levels of abstraction and six different technologies just to like, you know, do the most basic shit that you would see right. on the internet. Like it's, it's a bit nuts. And in some ways, I think that making has gone a little bit that same direction you know a lot of people they're like oh i want to make this simple little thing so oh the easiest way to do that is to buy a 3d printer and yeah that's great a 3d printer is like a really inexpensive and versatile tool these days but to like spin up an original design on a 3d printer then you have to learn cad and then you have to learn how to like slice it and output it to the 3d printer and then you have to get it to actually print properly and and i fall into this trap you know I, i'm like oh i just want to make this thing and it's it's a one-off you know no one's going to care if it's pretty or not and i'm like well i'll start by making it in cat you know and then i'll, I'll machine it or whatever when i could just like i don't know glue two bits of popsicle sticks together with with right. a fucking hot glue and it would get the job done you know um so I do think that there's a little bit of a, a tendency toward overcomplication, and I think that that can scare people off. Um, and I do worry about that too with my more recent videos. People see me making knives with like CNC machines and stuff, and they're like, "Oh, you know, do I need all of this equipment to be able to to make a knife?" And you know, obviously, obviously the answer is no, but to know that the answer is no, you have to know about the other tools and how to use them you have right. to know what a file is you know if you go to home depot and you're like oh what's the best file to to file some like metal they're gonna be like i don't know yeah <laughs> just just take one of these here, <laughs> anything you, know? you got what do you want a round one yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah I, you know i don't i don't know i don't know it's i think it's really interesting that the, like the maker community has kind of popped up you know i don't really think that used to be a thing 
15 years ago. I don't no, remember that being no. a thing. Well, 15 years ago, the you know Instagram and social media wasn't as big. Yeah. 50, actually, 15 years ago, there was like, I don't... I don't think even Facebook was around 15 years ago. And dial-up back then. <laughs> yeah, dial-up. Everyone yeah. dial-up. I think that I think that it's interesting because nowadays friends of mine are getting equipment that you couldn't have gotten before. Yeah. Like laser uh, uh, plasma cutters, CNC plasma cutters. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know at least one, two, three. I know at least three people that I know who got relatively inexpensive CNC plasma cutters. 10 years ago, getting a plasma cutter, 15 years ago, getting a plasma cutter was not, for the home use, was like no. unheard of. You no. know, for the home use, unheard of. It's the same thing with CNC machines. I, like, I I bought my first DIY CNC machine kit um, maybe 10 years ago, and I think I paid like 1500 bucks for it and it was the worst piece of shit you've ever seen (laughs) like it was literally made out of like electrical conduit and skateboard bearings and some like acrylic clear acrylic and this was sold as as a product because that's all there was at that that point in time whereas now you can go on amazon and be like oh which cnc machine do i want you know there's like 20 available um you know 50 whatever that brings me something to a knife maker dilemma that I don't, even th- I don't think we've mm. ever really unpacked, which is everyone says, oh, when I look back at my first knife, I'm embarrassed. Or when I look back at my first you know, few knives, I wish I could take them back from the customers. Oh. And what we don't really think about is the fact that we're evolving and the knives that we make in those particular moments are just milestones. They're, they're the physical remnants of that time. So obviously you can't be you, but in your mind you think you're supposed to upgrade with your your everything you made is supposed to upgrade with your with the time of your life, and then companies are the same way. Like that CNC company that was just says says hey yo get some skateboard wheels for Aaron's CNC machine. They maybe now they they're on something different, and, but at the same time you're still irritated because like you know you paid all this money and it's not you know, up to the stuff anymore. I'm not, I, well, okay, to so be very clear, I'm not irritated. I think it's amazing the progress that's happened yeah. since then. Um, and, like, looking back at my first knives also, I'm not embarrassed. Like, I, I think it's counterproductive to be embarrassed because yeah. if you're embarrassed about your past work, it disincentivizes you from doing future work because you're worried you might make mistakes. Right. And you're going to. Like, we're all going to make mistakes, right? But you're not allowing yourself to understand that that was a time in your life based on the information you had at the moment. Yeah, exactly. And if if your customers at that time wanted the perfect knife, there were other knife makers that they could have gone to to get them. Right. You know, like... They, the, Bob Creamer was around when I started making knives, you know, like I'm sure like um, what's his name? Loveless. You know, he was around like if someone really wanted like a, the perfect kind of knife at that time, there were people to make it. Right. They wanted my knives, right. my early knives, which are shit by my standards now <laughs> because they, you know, had been on some part of the journey with me because yeah. they'd like seen me making them or, you know, they have that direct interaction and that's important too. Like, you know, you and I make very nice knives. And, you know, by the standards of the knives that you find at Walmart, they're very expensive. If someone just wants to cut a tomato now, then, like, 
you go to you go to Walmart or, or Costco or whatever, and you buy you buy yeah. a knife. You know, yeah. people buy knives from us because of a whole lot of different reasons. But you know, a big part of it, like a, a quality, is obviously a huge part. But it's also about the relatability of it. You know, like they know where it comes from, and they can like ask you a question about it, and you'll explain it to them. You know? And they want a piece of you. Yeah. They want a piece of you based on maybe yeah. maybe your reputation or what you've done. Yeah. You know? oh, honestly, I think maybe that's the biggest way that making has changed, making stuff has changed over the last like 15 years is that I think people get a lot more insight into it now at all the different levels because um, there's so much information sharing that yeah. happens. Um, and that's one of the things that I really like about the making community and something that I personally really try to foster. It comes with me from doing open source work is yeah. that like if someone asks me what my heat treat protocol is, like I tell them I don't have any secrets. The only thing that I don't um, share is if, you know, I'm sure you get this all the time too. People are like, can I please have the CAD files for your for your knife? No one's you know, ever asked me for CAD files because they really? all know. They you all know. Files. I mean, my water jet guys got CAD files, but like right. I, I don't have them, you know. Right, but it, do you ever get people like asking, "Can I, can I have the drawings for that?" For the I, knife, I, you know? the, I, this is really funny too because the only drawings I get asked for are drawings of my knife so they can get tattooed. Oh, so but they want me <laughs> to do the drawing, which I prefer. Right. I've actually had, I've had some guys, and this is a knife. I don't know if you, I don't know if you're aware of of. There are knife people who get other people's knives tattooed on them, and Tomer from Florentine Kitchen Knives wins. Tomer from Florentine Kitchen Knives wins with customers getting good. His knife is very tattooable. The colors are really great, and the shape is really great. Fingal Ferguson just got somebody's tattooed. I got somebody tattooed one of my knives. I wish that they had. They they got. I don't know what they did. Might have been from South Africa. I don't know what happened. <laughs> they took one of my, they, I guess they screen capped something and brought it to the tattoo oh, guy. No. And then he draw it. And I, and he was like, look, I got your, your knife. I'm, I would have I said to him, I didn't say anything. I said, oh, that's awesome. And I'm like, oh dude, I would have totally given you a drawing. And then mm. I, two more guys got my tattoo, wanted to get tattoos of my knives. And I said, let me do the drawing because I don't want, the, I don't want that other one happening again. So like that's, I don't get CAD oh. file access. I get like people wanting me to do a drawing for their tattoo. Bad bad tattoos are, I don't know, like somewhat of a guilty pleasure of mine, I guess. I used to work with this guy in a warehouse, and I, I had got a new tattoo when I came to the shop, the warehouse, and I was showing a couple of guys. And then this dude who was, like, um, you know, hired because he was, like, family. You yeah. Know? He's yeah, like, yeah. oh, I got a tattoo. Let me show you. And he turns around, he takes his shirt off, and it's, like, a topless warrior woman standing on a mountain as drawn by a seven-year-old, oh, you know, like God. it was like it was huge, right? Oh, it, it, yeah, it was like half as back, and it was just like some lines. There was like no shading, no. And I was just like, how do you tell someone? What do you What do you say? <laughs> no, you don't say anything. <laughs> oh yeah, that's great. I worked with the. I worked at a company where one of the coworkers' uh, spouses came in one day with the Mike Tyson face tattoo. And we were like, it was shocking. It was like that, what? you know, that coral or I don't yeah. know, like that tribal thing or like that tribal sea around their eye. And we walked, it was so shocking that they would just do that. And we were talking to him. And we was like, why, did, why, what possessed you to do that? I mean, it's a, 
I mean, my my old friend, my friends who are ta- my tattoo guy told me years ago. He's like, people, you, we stay away from doing you know too far up the neck and the face because yeah. that's there's a high rate of suicide by oh, people God. who who get Jeez. there's a high correlation between those people and the people who get face tattoos. So so we said to the guy like, what were you thinking? And he and he said to me, he said this guy might not have been all the all the way there. He says I was with a coworker and he dared me. We said what? <laughs> and he said we said what? And he was just like, he said, he said, he oh said, he didn't, he didn't think he, they said that, that they didn't think I'd do it. And they thought my wife would be mad. And I did it. And they said, well, is your wife mad? And she goes, yeah, she's mad. And I'm like, you look like you look white Mike Tyson now. Don't even look like Mike Tyson. You know, it was crazy. And then make matters worse. Why? He thought that if he got the other side with the same one. It would even it out. He looked better, so he had two Mike Tyson Tay face tattoos on, and it was just like, you better call suicide prevention because, dude, you are gonna fucking die. You're gonna you're gonna die just go by statistically. <laughs> statistically, this is not gonna work out well for you. Statistically, you got you got to see somebody because it's <laughs> terrible. Oh my god, yeah, I yeah. But tattoos but- are tattoos are also a milestone in your life too. Like mm-hmm. I have some tattoos that they're fine. But I got them when I was younger, and I feel like it's like a it was like a milestone in your life that you should just be yeah. like that's the decision that I made when I was eighteen and fine. Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily get it again. No, but it's a part of your history now. Part of your yeah. history, like like one of those luggage bags with all the stick stickers on it. You know, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I, yeah. Oh God. Well, hopefully, I don't have any bad tattoos in my future. Let's, well, you know, you, you know, let's roll the dice. I mean, you can't get any worse. I mean, it can't get any worse than d- double faced Mike Tyson. I mean, you can't get much worse than that. I mean, however, Mike Tyson, let's face it, he grew into his tattoo. Mm-hmm. I mean, he looks. I mean, as far as the face other guy, tattoos goes, he looks maybe great. Not so much. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with the other guy. To be honest with you, I'm, 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 whole, I'm putting up the, I'm putting up the fingers crossed that everything's okay. Good vibes. Good, good vibes. I'm sending good yeah. vibes. Yeah. Sending good vibes. Double Mike Tyson face. I am with you. I don't know anybody that just gets a face tattoo on a bet. Uh, it was like a the weird, risk analysis is off there. I mean, this was a bad. It was a. It was not. A, it was not an optimal decision. It was not well. It was not an optimal. That's a very decision. charitable way of putting that. <laughs> it was yeah. not optimal decision. Yeah, seriously. But what back to back to uh, um, uh, uh, these companies? The companies now are making equipment so much easier to interface with. I mean, yeah. obviously, so much easier to get. So much easier to yeah. get, but so much more easier to interface. I'm actually going to have uh, Bree Pettis from Band of Tools in the shop oh, cool. this week. He's going to come in the shop. He's going to forge a knife with me, which is great. Don't. So he's the, the CEO of Bantam Tools, which is a tabletop CNC company. And I was on the phone with him today, and he's coming in to forge. And the cool thing is it's going to be a totally different approach because he's all like computers and stuff. And I said, yep. we're going to be – blacksmithing is performative. And there's not – you know, there's going to be – I will give – there will be no tape measures. There will be no angles. There will be – we're going to be like eyeballing it, and it's going to be a very interesting conversation. But what's cool is, is guys like Bantam Tools, they're making very approachable equipment for for people to use in their homes. Yep. Yeah, like they they make the CNC machine that I wish I could have bought 10 years ago. You know, it's, it's cute, and it goes on your living room table, whatever. Like, it just works. Yeah, that that's pretty amazing. What do you think the future is for the home user? Like, where do you see where do you see 
equipment and 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 dilemmas fixed by companies where do you see where do you see that going it's interesting right because something like that little the bantam uh tool cnc mill um you know if you're making small parts that means you don't need a drill press you don't need you know that huge like array of tools that goes along with the drill press you don't need like a manual milling machine in some cases you don't even need a lathe you know because the the machine can make circles well enough to replace a lot of like lathe parts so in some ways it makes it much more accessible because you know you don't (laughs) like um you know if you're like so I have some photos. I found a photo the other day of me in my basement apartment with a couple of fold-up tables and a drill press and, like, a CNC machine on this on this little table. You know? And that's kind of amazing that you could just have something like that, like, in your living room next to your, like, printer right. that helps you make physical objects. Um, and, yeah, I think those little machines are just going to keep getting more and more capable because a lot of the limitations that kind of held things back 10 years ago were all around the electronics. It's around, like, the computers to control the movement. It's around the, um, like, the drives, the electronics to control the, the servos or the, the stepper motors that actually, like, move the machine around. And all of that stuff is getting so much cheaper now. Um, you know, I guess the downside of it is the, like, commoditization of it. You know, like, a lot of that stuff just comes from China. And the reason that it's cheap is because there's, you know, we kind of hit that tipping point that now there's a mass market. And so it just gets churned out, you know. And, again, when we talk about, like, the people in the call center, I I feel the same way about, like, ultra-repetitive factory jobs. Yeah. You know, especially in... Like, the work culture in, in like, China around a factory job is so different. You know, like, you might, like, literally live in the factory for, like, 27 days out of the month or, or whatever. You know, like, that's... Again, that's, like, a nightmare existence to me, you know? Well, you know, but you go back 100 years, if you're in Johnstown, PA, mm-hmm. you're living in the town... That is, you're living in the town, you're walking across the bridge to go to the factory. You know, yeah. it's, it's not too dissimilar. It's just, it's just, you know, that's the interesting thing about like now. It's like you can actually see that when you're in Johnstown at CMA, you can see the history. You actually, yeah. they actually yeah. have a dormitory where you walk across the workman's bridge to get to the shop. That the, So the people who lived in the town would take the same bridge to get in that same factory. A hundred percent. Like if you go back in time, you know? shit just gets worse. Like real quick. Like... I you know you see you go back and look um if you look at like photos from like 1910s 1920s of like a cannery and like you're hard pressed to spot someone that's over like 10 years old in those right. photos you know yeah. like that's just the way it was um so yeah things have definitely gotten better I I kind of want to I read a lot of science fiction go and ahead. I've kind of seen about what um what people stipulate or what people imagine the end game might be and i want that i want that now you know and that's which, kind of which why which i part? work what what's your end game post scarcity what's so the mean? idea that yeah so this is the thing like I, I it's kind of like a foreign concept to us most people have never even been exposed to this idea so post scarcity is the idea that we get to the point where we can produce anything 
so quickly and easily and cheaply that it's worth nothing. So why would you charge anything for it? So like your 3D printer works so well at home that you just press a button and that thing just pops up. Yeah, you know, and then it, it's it, not and that doesn't mean anything because then it's it's well, uh, it's it's yeah, it, it, post scarcity is about like a civilization where every resource is so cheap. Energy, things it's so cheap that you don't have to charge anyone for it because it has no inherent value. It, it's not scarce anymore. So everyone can have everything. So then when everyone has everything, what is where, – where do people find satisfaction? Yeah, and where do they find value? And I where think that's, value, yeah. that's like a super interesting conversation because you know, the stuff that you do, at that point, the stuff that you do is way more valuable than the stuff that I do. I think because you, as you said, it's performative. you you spend like a lot of time learning how to do it. It's not like a digital thing that can be instantly transferred right. somewhere else to be replicated. So, you know, people will value that. And that's exactly where we're at now. Like people aren't buying a forged knife because it's, you know, it's better. They're buying it because they want that, that thing made that way. You know, yeah. Um, I I find that whole realm of thought super interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and the and the thing is, it, it necessitates a huge amount of societal change to even think about getting there, right? Because the intermediate steps i mean we might have talked about this in the past i don't remember but the, the intermediate steps like let's say self-driving cars you know like it's like 30 percent of the labor market in the u.s is around transport you know so you're talking about like you know taxi drivers truck drivers um package delivery all that kind of stuff if you have let's say tomorrow you have like perfect autonomous cars you just wiped out jobs for like 30 percent of the people in the u.s and that's like a higher rate of unemployment than like the Great Depression. You know, how do you deal with that as a society? Well, but it's been happening. It's been yeah. happening on small, you know, with toll booths are gone now. In New yeah. York, they're all gone. Like my last toll booth in my little town, we had this beautiful old, we had this bridge called the Bear Mountain Bridge. And they had a, a beautiful brick, uh, a stone uh, toll booth. It's gone. And there now there's Easy Pass. Yeah. Now you go to the supermarket or you go to Home Depot and then they've replaced five lanes of cashiers with those self-checkout people. And yeah. people are, you know, it's these are jobs. Obviously, well, these are jobs. And even more than that, like I don't know if you saw um, – it's been around for a while. Amazon's trialing this thing where they have a physical location and you, you walk in and you just take stuff. And they're like AIs and cameras and stuff, you know, identify you that you have an account with Amazon, they identify everything you pick up, and then you just leave and they charge your credit card for it. I've heard of that. I've you heard know, of like... That. Well, here's... Um, back to post... The post-scarcity is fascinating. Yeah. The post-scarcity yeah. is fascinating because what my biggest fear is, especially now with, with talking about, like, uh, you know, CNC machines and talking about the plasma cutters, you know, the plasma cutters are affordable, you can have... The CNC machines that people have, the you know wood and steel and all that, you you end up. I feel like you end up losing a little bit of the knowing how to do it by hand. One of the great things about your videos are, is that even though you'll do 
your knife on CNC, you also go back and do them by hand. So you know how to mm-hmm. do, you know how to perform all the part, you know how to perform and build a knife. Oh, it without, definitely takes, you know, it's like riding a bike. You haven't done it in 10 years. You'll, you'll get it again, of course. but it takes, it takes a minute. Of you know? course, of course. But I mean, the yeah. thing is, is like the closer we are to have to, you know, to getting rid of quote, dumb jobs, like, you know, cutting stuff out or drilling holes or something like that the less information that people are going to have. And this is the one thing about the Center for Mental Arts that's so fascinating is because it's really about keeping this. This is the, something I've been worried about for 15 years about, you know, <laughs> blacksmithing is, is people are not learning how to keeping it, you know, where is it, how is it going to get, go forward? How's it, and, and that in yeah. terms of the post-scarcity, now that all of a sudden the value will be on education. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely one of the things, but I mean, I, I would argue that like, the information that's being created now around blacksmithing is being distributed more widely than it has ever been in the past. You know, back in the day when yes. the techniques involved were really valuable, that, that shit was like held tight as a secret. You know, like yeah. you had to like get into the guild and you had to, you know, I don't know, whatever. Well, more sell than that. 10 sheep or something like Well, more, <laughs> more, than, that, more than that, you had you were worried about job security. Yeah. So there was a lot of not as much. I've known. I used to be in metal shops where the welders wouldn't teach people how to do their job because they were afraid that they'd lose. They would teach somebody how to do their job and then get rid yeah. of them. And there was a lot of that, but there were also. I mean, blacksmithing there was a lot of like being replaced by you know mechanization. So it's like it's it's kind of like you you you. But now you're 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 figuring out ways to be relevant. And you're right. You're right. Nowadays, it's easier to see blacksmiths than it was before because, you know, you just go on, you know, you just hit hashtag forging and then there you are. You got to see a nice, you know, a video or something like that. Yeah. But it's at the same time, I, 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 I think that we're, we're, we're getting ourselves out of learning how to do things by having these, this equipment that's easier to use. I'll have to disagree with you on that okay, one. Okay, go because ahead. Good. I can tell you. From personal experience, I've made many knives by hand, obviously, right. and I've made many knives with CNC. This CNC is way harder, way harder. I'm the, sure. The learning curve is really, really steep. Um, and unfortunately, we're not at that post-scarcity point with CNC machines in terms of how they run. Like, there's still a lot of, like, hand-holding that you have to do. Right. Um, like, so, for instance, the thing that people have never run a CNC – thing that they don't think about is fixturing which is like how you hold on to the workpiece while you're machining it and when it comes to like a shape like a knife like it doesn't have like my knives don't have any there's not a single straight line entire knife like how the fuck do you hold on to this thing and then when you're machining the second side of it the blade is only like 16 thousandths of an inch thick you know so that's I'm not sure how many 64ths that is. It's, I, think it's about, I think it's about one sixty-four. One is enough for me. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But just to let you, just to step back a hair, I just don't mm-hmm. want you to think that I said that I was making the point that what you do is pushing a button, the knife spits out. You I, bastard! I know how. I know how hard it. I know the the high highs and the low lows you have. Yeah. And yeah. I'm I, what I was making the point of is I feel like. The technology is slowly, slowly going to get easier and easier for people to be more proficient using this equipment mm-hmm. at some point. And I, I am all in favor of that personally because, you know, maybe that's a bad thing for knives, but that's a good thing for the world. I think because, okay. 
you know, so a really good app example of this is rocket motors. Um, so, like, the rocket engines that they're making now are more complicated than rocket engines have ever been. But, like, SpaceX, for instance, is aiming to produce, I think they're aiming to produce, like, three Raptor 2 rocket engines a day in their new plant. And the only way that they can do that is with the help of CNC machinery and, like, metal 3D printing and all this kind of stuff. So there's the machinery being better and easier to use allows innovation to keep pushing up. You know what I mean? Like, we can do more complicated things because the machines are easier to, to use. I, this past weekend, we were heat treating with an even heat ramp master. I didn't, I have a tap mask. I have a tap control, mm. which is like that. The P it's the, it's like that, an iPad on the side. Super yeah. This is like easy. programming your VCR versus like changing the time. No, on it, your it's phone. like, it's you like know, programming it's like... your VCR versus saying, Hey Siri, put on this movie, <laughs> right. you know? But it was like, I had to, I had to ask one of the students. I'm like, Hey, I, and, and the funny thing is, is like, we've been like knife, knife talk has been <laughs> selling even heats for years. And I turned to one of the students was like, anyone here knew how to use a ramp master? Cause I'm like, I don't, I, I couldn't do do it because it yeah. was it was harder to operate it wasn't as easy as a, the, the tap mass the tap control yeah. and that that change is 100 percent driven by like cell phones yeah. right because the like the display technology the like, capacitive touch screen and the the fast little cheap cpus all of that shit's driven by like uh, consumer electronics like no one out there is like we need to make better cpus so that they can make faster kilns right you know? they're out there making you know i don't know smart watches or whatever by by the ten thousands and then that stuff just ends up in other places and it gets remarkably cheaper like yes. I, I mean this is not an even heat ad but if you were to bump up to the <laughs> tap control it's only like 200 dollars more and it's like it's like crazy it's so user-friendly and i was just like i look at that tap master with the like the little red lines and i'm just like i don't know what to do here oh, this so, is- totally an ad read I can, no, I, no, it's no, totally, no, it must no, be. Knife Talk 10. <laughs> knife Talk 10. It's all ceramics. There you get go. Yourself yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Get yourself an even heat. Come this on, isn't baby. the Knife Talk podcast, Jeff. I forgot. Sorry. Rain it in, back. buddy. Sorry, man. Sorry, man. <laughs> so where do you think we're going? I, 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 I love when you talk about SpaceX. I think you have like this – you have a, a love for Elon Musk. He's such an interesting character. The Not elongated love. muskrat. Not um, love, but you know. Yeah, I I wouldn't characterize it as love because he definitely has some flaws. <laughs> but um that you know there's definitely some hubris there, but like at the same time I think you know, so he's obviously been through some trauma in his life that has given him this like like animal kind of ability to just ignore pain and move toward his goal but i thought he had like uh he had asperger's yeah yeah i guess you know and that that's like helps you potentially part of the trauma yeah probably yeah um and yeah i i you know i think we're just lucky that he's decided to apply that to things that are that i mean i think they're important other people don't necessarily think they're important so i feel lucky that he is a apply that to things that I think are important. You know? I thought you were going to say, we're just lucky that he didn't use his, his, his intellect to, to hurt us. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like, if you'd gone back in time 10 years and you're like, I'm going to make a startup that drive that makes electric cars. Everyone was like, 
yo, we've seen the Prius. It sucks. Like, it's it's the least sexy car in existence. We're not going to give you money to do this. I'm in you a know? Prius as we speak, by the way. Oh, I'm recording Jeff. in our Prius. Yeah. Love it. That's why you're still single, buddy. Sick. What are you talking about? <laughs> married 25 years. <laughs> out of your mind? I'm married but, man. You know what I mean? Like, electric cars used to have this horrible, horrible um, perception. Yeah. And, and to, like... I don't know, make them sexy. That That's kind of like the primary, um, like, achievement of Tesla, I think, is that they made electric cars sexy. And unfortunately, like, if you tell people, like, oh, you should do this because it's good for the environment, people are like, no, nah, like, I don't, whatever. Whereas if you're like, you can flex on your friends with this super fast electric car, they're like, that's, fuck yes. The, that delivery system, that sells, that's... That's a delivery system that the Canadian blind company needs to get to, to use because whatever they're doing ain't working. I, yeah, we, I, you know, like – and it's the same thing with SpaceX, right? Like SpaceX is such a bad bet. Like when it was founded, if you were like, I'm going to make money by making rockets and sending them to space, everyone's like, that's stupid. <laughs> you know? And, and I think that it's really interesting that Elon like pushed through that to the point where – you know, it's sustainable and actually makes money. And then everyone else is like, oh, shit. And they have to, like, play catch up, you know. Like, so just as, just as like, an, an example of this. Um, so, like, Boeing um, and, you know, a couple of other companies. Well, let's just stick with Boeing. So they have a capsule called the Starliner, which right. is supposed to go up to the International Space Station. And um, SpaceX have a capsule called Dragon. And... NASA awarded the contracts for those two things at around the same time, um, basically saying, like, okay, each of you is going to do, you know, eight supply missions to the ISS and send up some astronauts and stuff. I don't, I don't know what the actual numbers were. But they got them, those contracts at about the same time, but Boeing got about double the money, if I remember correctly. Why? Um, because they're a bigger company. They're, like, they were the safe bet, but they're going to be more expensive, you know. Boeing, the Starliner, still has not made it to orbit. And the Dragon capsule, I think, has done like 10 or 12 uh, unmanned resupply missions to the International Space Station. And it's either three or four manned missions to the International Space Station to take up personnel. And the Boeing Starliner is still having issues and has still not made orbit. So what do you attribute that to? Um, I think, honestly, a big part of it is just, like, the willingness to take risks. You know, like, Boeing's a big company with established engineering practices. They do things a certain way. They, you know, design this bit, and then they design that bit, and at the end, they plug it all together. They do integration. Whereas SpaceX is just like, we think this is a good idea. Fuck it. Do it. And if it blows up, you know, like, they, they test it on some shit that they're willing to blow up. And if it blows up, then, like, okay, we'll just do it better next time. You know, like... And so they move – it's the startup motto. It's like move fast and break stuff. So if we were to take this as a as an analogy, if you would be <laughs> like the young kid who wants to be a YouTuber and they make – and he whips out a video or he tries to figure out how to make something real quick and it might be – and then everyone's yelling at him. But yelling at me, you don't wear your safety glasses or that's not how you hold a hammer or yep. that's not the yep. way you, you yep. don't, you're not supposed to weld into the camera, you, whatever. Yep. And then, but it's like, hey, listen, someone's got, you gotta, you gotta, someone's got to do it. You can't wait till, you know, the old guy who's established can cut the videos. You gotta, yep. 
Yeah, the, the, the fortune favors the brave. Is that what you're saying? Basically. And, like, I'm very aware of how that kind of learning curve has also impacted me. You know, like, back in the day, I used to make videos. I'd be like, I'm just going to make a fucking video. Yeah. I'd just make a video. Whereas now I've got, like, a checklist. You know, I have to do these things in the video. I need to, like, make it good. You know, I can't, like, just shoot some shit on my phone and chuck it on YouTube because yeah. people will be like, what the fuck's wrong with you? You know, like. Yeah. Now you're bowling. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to kind of unlearn that, actually. Like, that's, for me, that's where the future of my making stuff is going to go, I think. I'm trying to, like, do a little bit m- more work here and there up front so that my long-term processes can be way more flexible and I can change things on a whim rather than being like, well, I've got to start checking off right. things off the checklist, you know. Um and that might actually be a pretty good analogy for, like, the future of manufacturing as a whole. Like, 3D printers, you don't have to worry about fixturing with 3D printers. Right. And that is a huge, huge thing. Like, uh, you know, th- a couple of months ago, a couple of years, well, a year ago, whatever, we uh, fostered this dog. And we're like, well, you need to keep the dog and the cat separate. So I just I'm going to bang out this little bracket to, like... Uh, hold a sheet of plastic in this doorway, you know, so they can't get at each other. I just, like, chucked it in CAD. It was, like, uh, you know, uh, 30 seconds in CAD onto the 3D printer and just left it running overnight. Next morning, it's done. You know, like, it works. It's They look great. They're still there. You know, like, um, stuff like that is amazing. Um, I want more of that in my life. Yeah. That's why I want the easy because I love the process I love fighting the difficult battles and, like, making stuff better. But at the end of the day, the reason that I got into making stuff was, like, to see the things that I envisioned come to to life, you know? So I think that it's it's transformative to have technologies come out that make that path shorter. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by you saying that because, I mean, I believe in general making in and of itself whatever it is is finding satisfaction mm-hmm. in the physical manifestation made by technique and discipline. Yeah, and, you know, I totally get that. But I think that this is, you know, and this is a little bit of, like, highlighting our different approaches, you know. And that's why I'm saying, like, I think that your approach, once we get to post-scarcity, your approach is still going to exist, and mine will not. Hmm. Because... The only valuable part of mine that will still exist when everything is easy is your ability to to, to put it together. Well, it's the design. Right. You know, like, let's assume that it just comes out of the machine fully together. It's it's all about the design in that case, which, I mean, that in of itself is a valuable thing. But, you know, then as soon as someone else gets a hold of it and 3D scans it, they just make their own. Right. Right. Whereas your one, you know, every single time it's unique, it's a a relic of the process itself. Um, and I think that that's fantastic. I, I think that it's just different goals. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if totally. Um, and I think both are super important. I, I think that, you know, there are so many inventions that probably didn't happen because the person that wanted to make it was like, I have no idea how to make this thing. And no one around me can make it either. So it's impossible, you know. And now you just like 3D print that thing and you're done. This post scarcity is so fabulous. This the, the concept I've never I've never I think I've heard of it, but I never kind of understood it. Mm. And it brings me to something that I'm fascinated with, 
that I think is overlooked. It's 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 dismissed in general as something that's, and that's the concept of the NFT. Because mm. once you have the NFT, then post scarcity isn't the same. So what a lot of people don't re- a lot of people think that post that what an NFT is is a fucking picture of a monkey. You know, it's it's it's, it's a picture of an ape. It's a picture of an ape. Not but what if you break down what it is? It's the concept of a unique signature or a unique object. Yeah, I guess in a way it's like artificial scarcity because. I can distribute okay. pictures of apes at lightning speed with the help of the internet. But with an NFT, I guess the idea is that I can prove that this one is number one of right. one or one of a hundred. Right. And so I can, you know, artificially scarcify that, that thing. I think that that technology, the NFT technology, isn't just going to be about art. I think that it's going to be ways in which to kind of create the unique fingerprint creating a degree of value yeah i must admit so i i'm i'm a bit of a weird person in the way that i do you know kind of approach life because i love technology but i don't want like an amazon alexa in my house i don't want to have to talk to my fucking light switches you know what i mean (laughs) i just want to press the button and so there's things that I embrace wholeheartedly and there's things that I'm kind of a Luddite about. Like if they release self-driving cars tomorrow, like, oh, you just, you know, 20 grand, you get a self- I'd be like, yes, give me, give me two, you know. Right. But I don't want an Amazon Alexa in my house. And I haven't crossed that tipping point yet with crypto or with NFTs. I, you know, I, I see crypto as like, oh, it's kind of a nice replacement for, for money potentially. And NFTs are, like, kind of a nice way to prove that you own this picture of an ape. But, like, I haven't seen – I haven't yet seen that, like, killer application. You know, it, it's like back when they first made, like, handheld computers. Do you remember Palm Pilots? I, ha- I had a Palm Pilot and I oh, also yeah. had a wireless Palm Pilot. Ooh, baby. And when we had those things, we are like, okay, this is great, but it's, like, kind of shit. And <laughs> it's, like – it's like kind of less convenient than just writing it on a bit of paper that you wedge yes, into your pocket. You definitely know? less convenient. And I, I think that's kind of the stage that we're at with like crypto and NFTs, because the Palm Pilot turned into the iPhone, and then like that, you know, to be a little bit hyperbolic, really did change the way that people interact with computing. Right. Right. Like all of a sudden, like you know, I, I have, I have like. Two and a half computers. Like this microphone that I'm standing probably has a computer in it, you know, controlling. Actually, I know it does because it's a USB microphone. It has a computer in it. Like computers are everywhere now. And I think a big part of that was, you know, interacting with them every day in that more natural way. And I don't think we've crossed that inflection point with crypto and with NFTs. And it's going to happen. I don't know what the the killer app is going to be, though. I, I find crypto to be fascinating, and I was very much along the lines of I, I was very dismissive of the concept of crypto. I was very you know, dismissive of I thought crypto. I remember listening to an NPR special about like somebody who got hacked, and then they had to go get crypto. They had to buy Bitcoin, and, they didn't, and they had to, like, it was all very shady, right. and it was like the dark web, and everything about Bitcoin just in the beginning just seemed kind of really nefarious and like a like a scam and stuff like that. And right. I ended up talking to a lot of people, and I ended up buying some. 
and I bought some, and my, my wife and I talked about it. She, she and I were like, you know, we've been very conservative our whole lives. It would be great to get in on something early, not be left behind. So mm-hmm. we spent a little money. I mean, a little bit. I mean, you know. How, how long ago was this? This was during the pandemic. So like a, probably mm-hmm. a year ago, a year and a half ago. Yeah. I mean, I, see, I, I told my one of my friends like three years ago that he was too late. And he wasn't. Yeah. So, you know, so just for reference, I was first exposed to Bitcoin when it was 12 cents. I had friends who bought it at 12 cents. I didn't buy any. I had I thought friends, it was stupid. I had friends who bought a few Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For like, they bought a dollar's worth of Bitcoin at 12 cents a piece. Right. And to be clear, I don't think the fact that people made a lot of money off it actually makes it a valuable thing. You know what I mean? Because I talk, I, I, I argue with, uh, I'm not going to say who this is because. It's Craig. Someone, no, it's not. <laughs> Someone's going to chase them down and try and steal all their money. I argue with a person that's close to me about this and they are all in. Like to the point where they're like buying up um, mining rigs that are coming out of China because China banned uh, mining for crypto. So they're like buying up mining rigs to chuck in the basement and you know power with solar and and mine some Ethereum. What is a, what is a mine? What does a rig look like? Just a big electronics box, basically. All it does is crunch numbers really fast to try and find the the answer to the next the next hash. You know. Um, and honestly, at this point in time, for me, the primary perceived value of crypto is that it is a wildly unregulated, hugely fluctuating, yeah. theoretically valuable thing. You know, right. So if you can convince enough other people that it's going to go up, then it does. And then you bought in first. And so now you're, you're riding the wave, you know? Well, it's also the fact that there's a couple things also. One is it, it, it has established a, a, a change in the economic structure of society for a lot of people. So people who used to not be able to be to gain wealth are now gaining wealth, mm-hmm. at, which is, like, fascinating. You're changing, you're changing uh, economic structures of the, of the society, number one. Yep. And number two is this could be a fucking pyramid scheme. <laughs> same thing is the same thing as NFT, where it's like you're where everyone's saying, "All right, everybody, you know that fucking Gary V is telling everyone to buy NFTs and stuff like that." And well, it could be because like you know you got to get people to believe it, and then they buy it, and then all of a sudden, then people can make money. Yeah, well, I, I, so I forget, I don't know the names, but there was a guy that bought one of those ape NFTs, and then the company that he bought it from released. He bought it for like a million bucks or something. And, and then a couple of weeks later, a couple of months later, the company that sold it to him released a hundred identical ones for free. And like he's like suing them being like, what the yeah. fuck? You sold me this thing that you told me was going to be unique. And then you just made another hundred of them. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but I'm just I'm hugely aware that, like I said, like we all thought the Palm Pilot was jank. Right. <laughs> and it was, you know. Yeah. But. Without the Palm Pilot, there probably wouldn't have been an iPhone. Right. Um, so at some point, that, like, honestly, just having a currency that's potentially not able to be controlled by anyone, any individual or any individual entity, that in of itself is an interesting application. It's great. It's great. You, you can, you, when you're, cha- you can, you, when you're, the exchange rate from different countries is the same. 
There's yeah. no like. I mean, it's there's, it's not volatile globally. It's well, like, yeah. The downside is it could be worth half tomorrow. Right. Well, that is that is that, yeah. You, you you take a beating. Some days are good, and sometimes you take a beating. You know, it's just right. like. But at the same time, today's dollar is a dollar in Germany. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's for for Bitcoin, and I I find that to be fascinating. I find it all to be. I I like I like I like a degree of uh, subversion. So, you sure. know, I think that I think that it's good that you know when people get mad about something enough. Maybe there's something good about it, you know. Well, and also there's there's definitely um, something to be said for the idea that if I don't think something's going to take off, then you should definitely invest a bit in it. So I'm probably <laughs> you don't believe, don't believe, yeah. whatever Aaron says. Do the opposite. Is what do the saying. exact opposite. That's that's my investment advice for you. There's sports. They're athletes now wanting their uh, some uh, uh, some MMA fighters and some other fighters who are get who are getting contracts. They're they're wanting to get paid in Bitcoin, like instead of I mean it's like that's how like they they're like rolling the dice for Bitcoin to like go up. Right. Same thing with Elon Musk. Elon Musk was was he do Dogecoin? He was like pimping it on. Uh, he made a he made a joke on Saturday Night Live saying it's garbage and it like tanked and then they scooped up a pile of it when it was low and then it went back up. I mean, yeah, and that's one of the interesting things about it being unregulated. Like you can't do that legally to a stock right you know right. but you can to crypto so yeah it's a little bit like the wild west for sure um i love the future to be honest with you <laughs> i don't i don't know you know what i i go back and forth between thinking it's going to be amazing and it's going to be post-scarcity and and versus thinking that like the earth will be inherited by microbes well they already are it well, already is. I mean, we're... Yeah. to the exclusion of human beings is what I mean. I just, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, you know, like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't. I am at turns optimistic and extremely pessimistic. Really, that surprises yeah. me. Well, yeah, like, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I love the idea of all of the shiny future post scarcity stuff, but at the same time. I'd be very happy having a big property in the in the mountains with, uh, you know, that's well fortified. <laughs> uh, I don't blame you. Yeah, you know, like I think we're definitely in the middle of that curse. You know, may you live in interesting times. Do you think? How do you think society will adjust to post scarcity? Because there's going to be this level where you're, I guess, it would be pre scarcity. I think you like mm-hmm. pre-scarcity. I think pre-scarcity is your move right now. That's the place that you. That's your happy Why? place. Why? Because you want to be the guy. You want it to to make it and have it made and still have value. You're not going to want the post-scarcity part. You're going to want the pre-scarcity part. I just want to know how mm. society will be able to handle the concept of all of a sudden now nothing's worth anything. Well, our society as it as it is yeah. can't handle that. No, it, it can't. will be. It will be terrible it will be terrible for a little bit there while we're making that transition you know and it can go two ways right you can either do the populist thing and be like we'll put it all back the way it was we'll put the genie back in the bottle like you can go full luddite you know and just ban let's say someone makes a 3d printer that can make anything you know it can print prescription drugs it can print food you you know you put the, the you know you poop and then you put it back in the machine it makes you more food like yeah the government could just be like, we're banning that. It's going to destroy our society. We ban it. You know? 
or only the military can use it or, or right. something, right? And, you know, I think that, that people will try to do that, but you can't, you can't compete with that. No. <laughs> not in the long term. It's just not sustainable. You know? I, I think that people's will to drive for something you know, the the idea that, that there's nothing, you know, all of a sudden things have no value. So what am I doing all this for? But this is, I think this is the really cool kind of thought experiment around this idea is defining value. Like, you know, right now, people, yeah. quote unquote, are valuable because they can do work, you know. But if if you get to a society where work is no longer needed then there's going to be this transitional people period where people are like, well, you're not doing any work. You don't deserve to be a person, you know, and there are already people like that. And it's difficult because then we get into the, like the communist socialist thing, but you're going beyond that because you don't need to distribute stuff anymore. Everyone can just have everything. It, it like, obviously this is going to be a very long way away, but there's no way that we get there with our current societal structure. It just doesn't work. But you can't have any. You can't have any gratification. I mean, people are gonna have. To, oh, I call no. bullshit on that. No, wait a I second. Wait, huge, am I, let huge me just let me just rephrase that. It's, <laughs> you're gonna have to. Tr- you're gonna have to train yourself and figure out different ways to have gratification. Yes, absolutely. But I mean, you know, that's that's the same as from you know now versus two hundred years ago. Like if I'm like. Well, you're eating this meal, but you didn't spend all day in the fields working for this meal. Now you just get to have it delivered to your house. But you still enjoy the food, yeah. you know. It's I think that we'll just there'll be different things. Like, you know, right now there are 10,000 people in the call center, you know, maybe some of those people will just spend their entire lives writing I don't know, erotic dragon fan fiction <laughs> or something. And other people will love that, you know, like you these dragons are making me horny <laughs> or hungry or hungry or yeah, hungry. Who knows? who knows? Right. There, there's lots of different ways to define value when <laughs> you don't have to just work to like sustain your, your daily necessities. Right. You know, and I honestly like, you know, your reaction to this is completely normal because we've never lived in this world. Um, how on earth can you, like think outside of the the box that we're we're currently in, and again, this is, I, I get all this from science fiction. This is not like original thought, right. you know what I mean? I'm not like claiming to be a friggin' genius over here. It's it's really that's one of the reasons why I love science fiction because they're like, okay, well, what if we can just do this thing and then extrapolate an entire world out of that change? You know. So what comes first, <laughs> chicken or the egg? The, the, well, this is going to be chicken or the egg, post scarcity mm. or the singularity. And let's just, for the listeners, let's just explain what the singularity is. It was this expression mm. that came out a number of years ago. Not 100% sure it's going to happen or not, but it was the idea that, in, I th- tell me if I'm wrong, but it was information is growing at such an exponential rate that we will at some point exponentially kind of merge with computers, and that's the singularity. <laughs> is that right? Uh, my understanding of the sim- singularity is that, Basically, if we're able to design smart systems, you know, so right now we're, we're talking about theoretically making a car drive itself, you know. What if one day you make a computer that can answer phone calls like we, we talked about, you know, but it's also able to rewrite itself to make itself better at that 
thing. And then all of a sudden it's better at rewriting itself than any human has ever been and it just keeps accelerating at that rate. And that's where you end up with the singularity is um, kind of ending up with like machines that are so smart that, you know, we join with them, everything, you know, like it's just you can emulate human brains in computing, you know, like exponential AI, really. Yes, that that's kind of my understanding, at least of what yeah this what they mean by the singularity. I, think I was, it was Ray Kurzweil that that's coined right. That term. He's crazy. There's there's a did you watch that movie about him? No, Ray Kurzweil. It's, he's fucking crazy. Yeah. Basically, he wants to be Doesn't immortal. Me. He wants to be immortal. Mm. And is he, he doing wa- the calorie restriction and stuff? I think that he was trying to. He was he was like eating like cups full of vitamins and cups full <laughs> of. I mean, just like. Cups full. I mean, he had specific diets, and he wanted to be. He wanted his consciousness to be uploaded into a mm. robot, and it was all. I don't remember what the. I think I'm what, down, man. If you told me you could upload me right now, I'd, I'd fucking go for no, it. No way, man. No way. I'm not interested. Let's but Robocop it, this shit but up. It's, but it, it was this. It was this. Like it was. It became this really like for a moment. It was this intense. Like, this is what's going to happen. AI is going to put us in the position of being in the singularity, and there's nothing we can do about it. And it's mm. going to ruin us. It's going to be like Sky... What is it from the Terminator? Skynet. Skynet. It's going to be like that, and it's going to be... And, but now, all of a sudden, it's just like no one gives a shit because Will Smith just slapped Chris Rock in the face at the Oscars. Nobody no, gives a No, the reason no one gives a shit is because there was a period in, like, the 90s where, like... Neural networks and stuff like the the all of the concepts around like deep learning were starting to happen, and then we just hit this wall. You know, there was like a, there was like money being thrown at like tech companies. You're, oh, you know, you're gonna do strong AI, blah, blah, blah. Just boom, 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 money, and then all of a sudden everyone was like, oh, this shit's actually way harder than we thought. And the whole, you know, I think that for quite a while there, there was a period where if you said, oh, my startup's gonna do AI, everyone was just like, get the fuck out of this room. We're not giving <laughs> you any money. You know what I mean? And then, uh, if I remember correctly, it was actually like a Canadian university researcher that kind of designed the way that we think about deep learning now that's kind of led to the the modern, like, AI revolution. And when I say that, like, this this shit's real. Like, there is um, a contest. I forget the name of it. But there's a contest that happens every year or used to. It's kind of become obsolete now where they would take, you know, Tens of thousands of images, one would be like a bus, a car, a street sign, whatever, and they would have competitions with people from all different uh, countries and universities and companies saying, like, you're going to classify this data set. So you have to look at each photo and be like, that's a car, that's a rock, that's a hamburger. And it used to be like, oh, they're like, you know, 60% right. You know, like the AI was like kind of shit. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, 95%, 98% better than a human. And that's why that, that like yearly contest doesn't happen anymore is because they kind of hit the end goal of it. You know, like but, that shit's real. That's already happened. But, I mean, you see, you see how technology is with the walking robots and the robot dogs and all these things. And now they're jumping and now they're doing flips and stuff like that. And it is very clear that the there's exponential growth in in all this technology. I don't think we're on the exponential curve yet. I think we're it's very so on the linear thi- curve I mean, part still. Yeah. I mean, you could make the you could make the you could make the uh, the observation that social media, in and of itself, 
is per, is perpetuating you know some sort of growth in terms of the way we see things i mean it's mm. it's it's it, only the past 15 years has been social media and it's changed the way number one we we learn information we get information or how we learn the news or how we learn how to dislike each other more or how, how yeah. or how do we like each other more and it is like this i mean if i think that if you took pre social media human beings and po and and present day social media human beings there's got to be a lot of differences in the way they operate i was talking you know to my, if you, my if wife and I, me, like my wife and i had had no there was no cell phones in when college we didn't have in hmm. 1995 1992 to 96 no no cell phones we didn't we're, we no the students didn't have cell phones there was no social media whatsoever and when my friends and i are all together we th we think to ourselves how great it was and how lucky we were to not have to have social media with us when we were in college. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Like, I have a very hard time attributing anything terribly positive to, like, social media. And, I mean, I don't know. I kind of count YouTube as almost like a separate thing. Uh, they did a study a while back where it was, like, they compared the mental health effects of, like, all of the different social media platforms. And, like, YouTube was the only one that wasn't negative. Really? <laughs> yeah. That surprises me. I think it's because it's more about, like, long-form content rather than, like, the quick, like, right. oh, I took a picture of my cat. Give me some thumbs up, you know? Like, yeah. here's a selfie. Tell me I'm beautiful. Yeah. Um, and if you'd asked me, like, 20, you know, 20 years ago, maybe that's too long, 17 years ago, 15 years ago, like, you know, is the impact, is the internet going to have, like, a unilaterally positive effect on the world? I would be like, fuck yes. It's amazing. It's going to... But the problem is that we're we've kind of losing our ability to filter out the crud you know like or unfortunately i think one of the the worst parts is the like radicalization the siloing of people by the algorithm you know like if if i go on youtube and i like so i find firearms really interesting um they're super cool like mechanical things but that means that as soon as i go on youtube and search like you know a particular firearm, whatever YouTube's like, oh, this guy's definitely right wing. Let's let's start showing him, you know, extremist right wing content. And if I didn't like actively fight against that, my entire world would just become this like algorithmically optimized set of media. Do you know what I mean? And it's it's bad. But it's that's really bad. but that's not social media's fault. Uh, I would argue that it to, is. It contributes a little bit, but at some point, we must take responsibility for our own actions. Yes. I don't, I don't disagree with you, but the problem is that there's a perverse incentive here, which is money, right? So right. if you own a social media company, one of the metrics that you care most about is engagement. You know, you want, like, how many minutes does the average user spend on my platform every day? And so what you do over the long term is you do what's called A-B testing. So you'll show, you know, this person one day this kind of algorithmically chosen content, or you'll cho only show them, you know, the stuff that they are already following, you know. And then this other version of the algorithm is, like, the stuff they're already following plus this stuff that we think they might like, you know. And whatever gets the better engagement numbers, you just do that because you're you're motivated by money, right? So unfortunately, that, like, A-B testing has... It, it kind of has converged on that that same solution, which is you're going to show people the stuff that's most engaging to them, 
and you're going to keep trying to feed them more stuff that's you know arrayed around that that those things that you know that they like which is where we get into that that siloization of you know like your youtube versus mine like what you see on your homepage so, is going to be so different and that's great for entertainment but maybe not great to give us equal worldviews if that makes sense that makes sense yeah um, for me, I'm not saying like take away YouTube I just it's it's a difficulty that we have to deal with and I'm not sure exactly what the answer is you know I saw someone the other day that our country was looking at legislation saying that like tech companies can't algorithmically determine the content that is shown to people under 18 years old you know, because it's almost like a drug. Like you're, you're like, per- you've got a huge data set. You can like perfectly choose the content that will make this person want to engage with your platform the most. So you show it to them, and it works, and you get money. So you're, of course you're going to like keep doing it. You know. So because you're aware of this, which is, I, I mean, my opinion is, is like when I was younger, I used to find it to be obnoxious that television. Mm stations had a schedule so they made me change my schedule to watch their content i found that to be even as a child i'd be like or even when i was a child i thought it was obnoxious that i had to wake up early to watch the saturday morning cartoons they liked i found it obnoxious that i had to do that and then when my wife and i moved in together in college after college there were shows that we wanted to watch, and we had to race home to watch them. And I found that right. to be obnoxious. And then to the point where we got rid of television because we thought, I am not going to live my life around mm-hmm. around someone's schedule that they want me to have. And it's probably one of the reasons why I don't watch. I only watch YouTube shows if I'm specifically looking for something or a friend of mine's got a thing and I want to support them. But yeah. I don't. I can't get into sitting on the computer and just like going down rabbit holes because it's like actually the fucking last rabbit hole I went on to was your videos like <laughs> seven years you. ago. Yeah. And at one time I'm up until like fucking two in the morning. My wife rolls over and says, what the fuck are you doing? I said, I'm watching Aaron Goff. He's making knives. So <laughs> you're the only one who's got me in that bad position. But what I wonder is, is I feel like you're the same way where you like, you see what you see, what these algorithms are doing. You see how you're being shelled into something. And I wonder how that makes you, why you're pessimistic about the future, because I feel like you're very aware of what's going on and what's going on and how it affects you. So I wonder why that makes you pessimistic about the future. Aaron Goff, the floor is yours. Because I don't inherently trust all people. No. And it only takes a few bad actors that are, like, genuinely willing other people harm to do a lot of damage. So you're more wor- – so you're like, you're, like, a defensive driver. Oh, and yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm and, a hugely defensive driver. And you're, and you're yeah. worried that someone's going to just come careening into your world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like, Ukraine isn't helping – my view on that. God damn, you know what this I mean? is the worst, man. Yeah. And like I you know, <sighs> I I have people that I talk to from the through the podcast and other knife makers and stuff that are in Ukraine. It's like it's it's a fucking reality dictated by a madman, you know? Like so yeah, I like it definitely makes me wanna like 
okay, I'm going to buy a property in the middle of nowhere and a, and a float yeah. plane and 300 years worth of food and I'll just I'll just chill there. You know, there's definitely that kind of reaction in my mind. You, when you look, when you think about like the things that are going on in your life right now and you're thinking about like the problems you're going on in your life, all you have to do is think about these poor people in, in the Ukraine. Yeah, small potatoes. I mean, it's like nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. And these... Yep. And it's 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 so depressing and so and so it's the it is very very depressing. It's very depressing. Yeah, but there are good people. But there are good people like my friend uh, Sully Butch Sullivan, who uh, who what he did was he he did a raffle, a knife raffle, and then all the money went to World uh, Jose Andreas's place, World Health Organization, World yeah. World World Hunger. What is Jose Andreas's place? So there are people like Butch who are doing, and they listen. He listens to podcasts. Butch is a good dude. Good he's, job, Butch. He's doing the good things too. So all of a yeah. sudden, even though that there's these terrible things, you got good guys like Butch who are putting together, trying to raise some money to help people and being helpful. So and I definitely that's take the best part. In that. It's the Mister Rogers thing, right? Look for the people well, that are helping. You know, I, when when the pandemic when the panty started, and the I was. Panty. Oh, I love calling it the panty. You know who hates it when I call it the panty more than anything else? Craig. He starts to get, he sends me these messages. He's got to stop calling it the panty. And it makes me just, I ha, you want to know how out of touch I am. I'm like a, I'm a, I'm a Peloton fanatic. I've been doing the Peloton mm. religiously since September. I have lost so much weight. It's, I'm like a different person. I feel great. We're and doing my, the Peloton ad read. I, I wish, I, I wish I could, I wish they would sponsor me. I'd love it because I fucking love that fucking thing. And all of a sudden, I'm riding the bike, and my Peloton instructor is this cute girl, and she's really ripped, and she's a great trainer, and she's talking about life, and she's talking about how the panties hold, how you're holding up in the panty. And I was like, she's my fucking Peloton instructor called the fucking panty? And I'm like, I'm going to start calling it the panty. She's influencing me to call it the panty. So now I call it the panty, and I love it. But in Look, the beginning, the part I like most about this is that it really annoys Craig, oh, and that is why you were doing well, it. Well, we've got to live for those moments. That helps. Right? That helps when he sends you messages saying we need to ban the word "panty." I'm like, all right, no problem. <laughs> and then the next episode, I'm like, how you? How's your panty holding up? Yeah. But yeah. I remember in the beginning of it, I was very much along the lines of like, I wasn't going to tell people what to do. I wasn't going to. But I, I thought it's better to instead of just like complaining about what's going on, seeing if mm. you can help people. Because especially yeah. in the beginning yeah. of the pandemic, right before the pandemic hit, no one was going to restaurants, and I was mm -hmm. very close to the restaurant industry, and I was doing whatever it took to help my friends in the restaurant industry in general. And it was the idea of being helpful, and yeah. I think that that's probably the one thing that post scarcity is going to. Is, is not going to nullify is the concept of people figuring out ways that they can be helpful towards others. Yes, absolutely. That's, and that's lovely. Uh -oh. And it's also going to be the opposite <laughs> as well, right? Because if you can have anything, then you can have some very dangerous things. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't really know, like, the vast majority, the vast overwhelming majority of people that I have met and that I know and that I interact with are lovely human beings and I feel very lucky to know them. And then there's that, that like, the... Fringe. Yeah, the little poop layer <laughs> on the top, you know. And I don't, I don't know how to deal with, with that in the long term. Is it the self-righteousness? 
Is it the ignorant self-righteousness? That's what I don't like. <laughs> it's, I think that what I have more of a problem with is one of the things about social media is it gives it gives voices to the people who don't deserve voices. <laughs> you know, it's it's, yeah. it's 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 amplifying willful and unreasonable ignorance. And it's yeah, like, you know, but even you know, ignorance doesn't really bother me that much. It's it's the like active misinformation. Yeah, that's what bothers me. Yeah. Is like, you know, I. And again, it comes down to perverse incentives. It's like I can get attention by saying this thing and, you know, some people will tell me I'm wrong, but more people will be like validated by me saying this so I can say it and be popular or I can make money or, you know, I just – and we don't – we as a society don't have the tools to deal with this level of like information dissemination without filters. But this you know is I mean? the, this is the delivery system that modern modern humans like. They like the the delivery system of hot takes, of a slight <laughs> bit of controversy, of arrogance, of of saying things that sound cool. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger started that shit where he'd say, "I'll be back," and people people like a fucking good line, and people yeah. like these like they want they don't necessarily want the right thing, they want the thing that's going to sound the best right now, you yeah. know. Will Smith just fucking and this is going to come out in two weeks, but Will Smith on the Oscars didn't like what Chris Rock made a very nothing to write home about joke. It was a throwaway joke about Jada Pinkett Smith's head, and then. He saw that he laughed, and then he saw that she was mad. Walks up on stage, goes up to him, slaps him in the middle of the Oscars, and then turns around. the The whole place is quiet, and then he tells tells he tells Chris Rock, "Don't don't put me, don't let don't put my wife in your don't say my wife's name out of your fucking mouth a couple times." And it was intense. It was intense, yep. and it was like now it's like the memes. Of him slow smacking, and it's only been now. It's only been like twenty four hours, but the memes of him slapping Chris Rock is now like mm-hmm. that's how we develop our. That's how we how we speak now. We speak in these like we take memes and then we we teach each other based them. on the memes, and we and it's that's that's how we do. Right? Yeah, I don't. The future, man. I don't know. Like I, you know, I don't. I don't claim to have any great visibility into the future. I just. I think that. It, Thinking about it really resonates with me, obviously, because I, like, literally exclusively read science fiction. Like, I I really am super bored by almost any other type of book. Um, Give me three recommendations mm. for science fiction. You know what? Speaking of the future, I, I, Craig, I cry, I'm pushing Craig's limit on Squadcast, so we're going to be hung up on in about ten minutes. So oh, I no. wanna, I'm going to have to wrap this thing up because otherwise it's going to – but give me three, three. Give me three science fiction books that any everyone should read. And don't say the Hobbit. That everyone should read. Don't say the Hobbit. Okay. Don't say the Hobbit. No, I. Was, I was, don't say Lord of the Rings. Please, please stop. Please stop. Oh my God. <laughs> don't say Lord of the Rings. That's what I, I, love I really dislike that fantasy and science fiction are on the same bookshelf. My, and they're just like, oh, it's the same thing. Here's, what are you talking about? It's the same thing. My wife That's, used to say, "I like my science and my fiction separated." <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, three um, science fiction books. The the culture novels by Ian M. Banks are amazing. So these are like books that were written in like the the first of them was written in like the late eighties, and it hasn't aged a bit. 
Like he just he knew which of the technologies to kind of talk about in a vague enough way that it's not like oh the computer was the size of a room so clearly it was powerful you know it, there's none of that it just it, it has aged incredibly well and that is based in a post post scarcity society okay. um, so those those novels are fantastic each one is a standalone so you can read like use of weapons or um, the player of games is my favorite that is a dark book it it goes some really fucking dark places okay. and it is amazing okay. so player of games by Ian M. Banks definitely one of my favorites um uh, I'm going blank now so the, the author's name is Adrian Tchaikovsky and the book is called is the cover have like something. a like a, a standing tiger with like a loincloth? That's that's yeah, every time oh, I see every time I see the science fiction books. I would look when I was a kid. I'd look to see which one I wanted, and there's generally speaking these like half human, half tigers with like mm. clothes on. You were, you were straight up judging by the covers, weren't you? Oh yeah, I, yeah. I, I was. I'm fickle. I'm fickle and shallow. So there's this amazing book called Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky, um, and it's just one of those books that, like, I've read a lot of science fiction, and even to me, the concept was, like, totally new. And the world building in it was really, really good. Um, so that one's also super fantastic. And then if you want something that's just, like, fun with, like, no holds barred, um, the Night's Dawn trilogy by Peter F. Hamilton. So it's literally about the dead coming back to life through a technological means and you know, human society having to fight them. <laughs> it's amazing. And don't read anything by L. Ron Hubbard because they're not good. L. Ron Hubbard makes terrible science fiction books. I read one, you know, because I was stuck in a place that only had that book. Right. Terrible. So that's that. Well, that's the thing. One uh, one person's amazing book is everybody else's terrible book, I'm right? Here, but, I'm with you. But... Yeah, I mean, the uh, I think most of the books I've like Children of Time, for instance, won a bunch of awards. Like that, it's just a really, really good book. And Ian M. Banks is like, unfortunately, he died a couple of years ago. He was like national treasure level author, you know. Didn't make it to the singularity. Didn't make no. it to the singularity. No. Aaron Goff, we have to wrap this up. I just got a message from Squadcast. They're gonna, they're gonna hang up go. on us. We gotta go. What's next? What's next in the future? And what's next for Aaron Goff? Personal post scarcity going for it solar panels living in the woods no more money i'm gonna have aaron aaron coin aaron coin i love yeah. it i love I, it I, I i only i have it up uh, so it's worth NFT. nothing <laughs> you, yeah. you can have your own nft that you can just look at i'm for <laughs> it i'm 100 percent for it aaron we're gonna have to do this more frequently because Always i love, love talking, talking i love talking about the future with you guys you know aaron goff goff customs if you ever thought you needed to know how to make a knife, go watch his YouTube. I'm going to be really cl- shutting down on YouTube tip shows because I'm starting to get a little bit like I've had it with them. I've had it with them. But if you are, the gold standard is Aaron Goff. Aaron Goff is the best. Go get yourself one of them Resolute knives because they are top of the food chain. Go follow him on Instagram, <laughs> Goff Customs, and what and go listen to... The XYZ podcast on the Makery Network, it's a great podcast where they talk about the future and they talk about technology and CNC, and it's great, and it's very great. Aaron. Thank you. You're a gentleman. We're going to definitely do this again. 
Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You're the man. See you next time. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.